That's fun stuff right there, isn't it? Man, Jesus just declaring truth over us and worshiping him in that. In case you don't know, my name is Kyle, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we're in week three of this series called Love Illuminated, and we're in the book of First John. Um, growing up, I had some special people in my life. Uh, my grandparents were definitely some of those special people in my life. I don't have any of them here on this world today. They're all in heaven, but one of them uh, was very special to me, probably called him by a similar name that maybe you called one of your grandfathers. We've all got those nicknames and whatever. For me, it was Pawpaw, right? And Pawpaw held a very, very dear, special place in my heart. And uh, my Pawpaw had great stuff that he would say. And it never got old, right? He would just say it and do it, and you just loved it. You just kind of expected every time he saw him. He had this thing, maybe you're familiar. Um, he would uh, see, especially when you were a kid, and uh, he went home to be at the Lord when I was a teenager, and I would say probably my teenage years, early teenage years, he probably did this as well. Um, but he would say, hey, do you know how the cow eats the cabbage? If you don't know how the cow eats the cabbage, see me afterwards, and I will show you how the cow <laughs> eats the cabbage. Um, he also had this phrase, especially when all the grandkids were over, and there's a bunch of us, and, you know, trying to get us to bed after being wound up on Mama's chocolate chip cookies, right? Um, and he would say, the last one to bed is a rotten egg. And I don't know how, but, man, that would motivate us. There's no way we were going to let Pawpaw declare us to be the rotten egg. And it would just make us move. It would make us go. He had this other thing where he would, he would illustrate while he did it, He'd take his hands, and he would kind of tap you on the forehead right here, and he would say, head knocker. He would point to your eyes, and he would say, eye winker. He would kind of wiggle your nose, and he'd say, nose dropper. And then he'd go into your, your, your neck right here, and he would grab it and just jiggle it, and he would say, gully washer. And it would just get you every time. And you would want to, like, part of you, like, okay, I'm going to see Pawpaw this week. And I'm thinking I'm going to, like, avoid that. He comes in with it, and you let him do it every time. It just, it just almost gets better with time. He also had a lot of words of wisdom that he's spoken in my life that I'll never forget. They just stuck with me. He had been in life a long time. He had a lot of experiences. Uh, I say very gratefully that he was a follower of Jesus. And, man, when he spoke, I, I, just, I just listened to him. Well, John, who is writing to us in 1 John, is much like that beloved grandfather that's been there and has done that. He's got some phrases that never get old. For instance, John chapter 3, verse 16. You familiar? For God so loved the world that he gave, help me out, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have it. Does that ever get old? No, no, it never gets old. And he's got these words of wisdom that he speaks into us, in particular in the, gospel, uh, excuse me, in, the, in the letter of 1 John, where, again, he's old. He's, he's a grandfather's age. He's probably in his 90s at this point, And he's just speaking much like a granddad would speak to their grandchild with wisdom and with love and with compassion. So as we lean into 1 John, I want to give you our big idea for today, and then we'll read Scripture. You're going to see it on your notes, see it in the screen, and that is this. Know what you have in Christ. Know what you are in Christ and cannot lose. Know what the world offers you but cannot give. Okay. Know for sure what you have in Christ and cannot lose. Also know what the world offers, but cannot give. 
So look at 1 John chapter 2 and beginning in verse number 12. So verse 12, 13, and 14 that we're about to read are poetic in their form. And um, unless you're, you know, really into poetry, and some of you are, um, but for the rest of us that maybe aren't into poetry, you might read verse 12, 13, and 14 and say, oh, that sounded neat, and just move on and nothing else to it. But he's saying some really incredible things in these poetic verses in verse 12, 13, and 14. Notice what it says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. So we see here three groups of people. They're all obviously connected because of Jesus. But he kind of categorizes us as followers of Jesus into three groups. And if you're paying attention today, you're going to kind of find yourself in one of these groups. And that's great if you find yourself in one of these groups. First, he addresses God's children or the new Christians. So if you've come to know Christ in the last two or three years, this would probably be you. You've recently become God's child. You're a new follower of Jesus. You're a new Christian. He addresses them, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. He also speaks to those who are mature in the faith or mature Christians. Uh, we would look at these uh, almost like in the faith. We would look at them as like wise fathers or mothers or grandfathers or grandmothers, those who are mature in the faith. And then he writes to those who are young in the faith, those who are maturing Christians. Young in the faith, those who are maturing Christians. Now, for just a moment, if you find yourself in any one of these three categories, it is a good place to be. And I just want to encourage you off the bat, and we're going to talk about this all throughout, that if you're not a Christian, you can become a Christian just like we became Christians by faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So if you're wondering how, if you're not in one of these categories, how you get into one of them, I'm going to give you the answer to all three. Jesus. How do you become a new Christian? Jesus. How do you become a mature Christian? Jesus. How do you become a maturing Christian? Jesus. The answer is the same for all of them. And so if you find yourself in one of these, great. You're also going to see as we continue to talk this morning that the biblical precedent and idea that carries over all the time is that we are supposed to grow up in our faith. We don't want you to be stuck. So, for instance, if you've been a new Christian for a really long time and you're not maturing in your faith, God wants you to mature in your faith. If you've been maturing in your faith and you haven't found yourself being a mature Christian yet, God wants that to happen, and we're going to read how those things can happen, much of that today. So again, let's talk now to those who are God's children, meaning new Christians, okay? New Christians. Again, if you've come to know the Lord in the last year or two or three this is probably you. He addresses them in verse number 12 and also in the first part of verse 14. So let's look at verse number 12. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been 
forgiven. That is a massive, massive word. Your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. He goes on in verse number 14, the beginning of that verse, to say, I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. And so what we're seeing in these two verses is that every Christian, whether you're new or not, but as a new Christian, you definitely need to know these things. These are, these are foundational for you, these two huge truths for Christians. One, your sins have been forgiven. If you're a new Christian, you need to celebrate that now and forever. If you're an old Christian, you need to celebrate that now and forever. Think about that. Our sins being forgiven through Jesus. We've been made right with God. We've been washed completely clean of every evil thing we've ever done. We've been given a new heart, a new life, a new hope, and a new home in Jesus. Listen to me. If you are in Jesus, you are a believer, you are a Christian, you have been forgiven. There is no more guilt for you to bear. Listen to me, believers. If you're someone that has confessed your sin to Jesus, believing that he died for you and came back from the dead for you, he has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. If you are wrestling today as a Christian with guilt, listen to me. That guilt is not coming from God. It is coming from your enemy, the accuser who wants you to be stuck. It doesn't come from God. He frees us from guilt. Romans talks about this so much. The book of Romans talks about the freedom we have in Christ and how the condemnation and or the guilt that wants to get heaped on by our enemy and by sin, it is gone in Jesus. So again, if you're wrestling with guilt, and you're a believer that guilt is not coming from God, it is coming from your enemy, you need to understand that Jesus has wiped away your guilt with grace. And you are free. And you are forgiven. And you don't have to be haunted by your sin anymore because Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. All of them. All of them. And so there is no longer this need to do any kind of penance. Jesus paid for your sin already. There is no purgatory to expect in the future because Jesus paid for your sin already. You can live in that freedom and in that forgiveness and that hope now. And one day we'll live forever with Jesus because of it. The second thing that you really need to know and that the scripture points out here is that God is your Father. You saw that in verse number 14. It's so important. Now, when I say the word Father in church, here's what I know. All of us have images and memories and experience that rise to the top really, really quick. And for some of us, they are fond, they are grand, they are wonderful, and they are beautiful. For some of us in the room, it's the very opposite. Here's what I need you to know. When we declare, more importantly, when God declares himself to be your father, we are talking about a perfect father, a faithful follower, one who always does what he says that he will do, someone who always loves you, someone who is always for you, someone who is always there for you. And so we understand that God is our Father and how accepted we are in Him. What a difference it makes in our life to know that we're not performing to get His approval. He's already given us His approval. We're approved because of Jesus. Do you understand that we get to be children of God, not because we did good things, not because we straightened things out, not because we began to fly right, 
but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we get to be the children of God, and God is pleased with us. Pleased with us. He is so pleased with you. Not because you're a perfect person, not because you never had sin, but because of Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees his child whom he loves, accepts, and wants. That's the father that we have in Jesus. And so our loneliness can be gone then because we have a father. Our guilt can be gone because of the forgiveness, and our loneliness can be gone because we have a father. So here's what you've experienced if you are a new Christian. You've experienced Jesus changing you. Okay, you have experienced Jesus changing you. So if you're a new Christian, I want you to remember and reflect on this. If you've been a believer for a while, I want you to remember and reflect on this. Let me ask you this question. Do you remember meeting Jesus by faith? Do you remember meeting Jesus by faith? I don't have to have a date. I don't have to have what time it is. I'm thankful my mom and dad wrote that down for me. I can tell you the date for me. But it's not about the date, right? It's about a moment where Jesus became real in my life by faith. I've seen people respond in those moments in all kinds of ways. I've seen people just laugh from the, from the depths of their being after asking Jesus to forgive them and to save them because they don't know how to express their joy, and they just laugh with just joy. It's just this pure joy that comes out of them. I've seen people just be kind of speechless in the moment, not knowing what to say or how to react, knowing that Jesus just forgave them and they just became a child of God. I've seen people clap. I've seen people shout, yell, whatever you want to call it. I've also seen a lot of people cry tears of joy, sorrow, and, 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 and celebration all in one. For me, when I met Jesus, I remember it vividly, um, some of you know this, I knelt from a very, very, very ugly yellow suede couch, and I cried, and it wasn't because the couch was so ugly, but I cried because I realized that Jesus had forgiven me, and it was a life-changing moment. Don't forget that moment. Don't outgrow that moment. Grow from that moment. If you've been a believer a short time, man, like let that memory be incredibly vivid for you. Telling that story, writing that story down, remembering the sights and the sounds and the smells and the people, the sermon or the person who shared the gospel with you or the place that you were open to in scripture or the song that was on the radio, whatever God used to make Jesus real to you in that moment, don't ever forget that moment. Those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, don't ever forget that moment. That is the moment where everything became alive, everything became real don't ever get over it. Don't ever get over it. But we've experienced Jesus. So if you're a new Christian, what you've experienced, you've experienced Jesus changing you. It's absolutely incredible. Now, can you explain the experience you had when you met Jesus by faith? I've been following a Jesus a long time. I've been trying for a lot of years to explain the experience that took place when I placed my faith in Jesus. I don't think I do a great job in explaining it. I can tell you about it, but I can't explain it. In other words, there's a lot of experiences we have in life that we want to tell other people about, but we can't explain it. For instance, you ride the most amazing roller coaster ever. It was the greatest experience ever. And you come back, you can't explain the physics. You can't explain all the engineering that went into, but you know that you went up and around and through and up. And you know, you, you just, this is what happened. 
This is what happens. So much more should we want to describe and share with other people the experience that we've had in Jesus. Again, you've experienced Jesus changing you. Then he addresses those who are mature in the faith. Okay, those who are mature in the faith. And we're going to look now to verse number 13. Mature Christians. Verse 13 says, For I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. These are people who have a deep knowledge of Christ because of experience with Jesus. Not just I know Jesus, but I know Jesus because I've been following him day after day after day. Someone who is mature in the faith cannot just tell you how Jesus changed their life, but they've seen Jesus change the world. They've seen other friends and other family members and other neighbors that they share their experience with, and they have helped them find and follow Jesus. And these mature Christians have been about the mission of Jesus for years, and their knowing Jesus is even deeper because not only have they seen Jesus change them, they've watched and experienced Jesus change other people. Now, if you've been following Jesus long enough to be a part of helping someone else know and follow Jesus, just, just it's sweet, isn't it? It's just amazing. I've seen Jesus change people that I'm just like, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't know if they could be changed or not. Are you with me? I mean, the stories of life change, but it's absolutely incredible. These are people that have been following Jesus long enough that they begin to, to think like, act like, Respond like, live like Jesus. So let me give you an idea that may be helpful. In the biblical culture, this age of maturing, not necessarily in Christianity, but it's applicable here for us to kind of grasp this thing. When they talked about this type of maturity, someone reaching this level of great respect, someone that you would go to for wisdom and for direction that would be looked at as a trusted father or a trusted mother or a trusted grandfather or a trusted grandmother, the age that they would give that in that culture would be those who have reached the age of 40 and beyond. Now, I don't know what number you thought I would give, but I think for most people that may be a younger number than what you expected. But in that culture... At the age of 40, that's, that's where you ought to be reaching. What am I saying to some of us in the room? Some of us have crossed over that line or about to cross over that line of 40. And biblically, we should be maturing at a much faster rate than what we, we, what we are. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that to encourage you toward maturity. You don't have to wait till you're 85 to be mature in Jesus. God can mature you today. He can mature you, not naturally, but supernaturally. And on that, I want to pause and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, church. I said this in the first, I'm saying it now. Thank you, church, for so many of you who are mature in Jesus. And it's because day after day, year after year, you have taken up your cross and you have followed Jesus. And he has been changing your life. And you're those people that were like, man, when I need somebody to pray for me, I'm going to them. When I need somebody to need some biblical wisdom on, I'm going to them. Because we see in you, regardless of your age, we see a maturity in you. And we have confidence in you because you've been following Jesus that long. Almost two years ago, I crossed the threshold. I'll be 42 in August. 
that, that, that behooves me. I don't know if you know what that word means. Like, it like stirs me, like, like, like pushes me. God is saying to me, like, I should be maturing at a supernatural rate at this point. Okay? Some of you need to hear that because you have long passed that time or you've just, and you need to mature in Jesus like never before. This isn't about you gritting your teeth and getting better at life. This is about you every day saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and Jesus supernaturally growing you up and changing you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the spiritually mature people in this church. And we need more like you, so continue to lead and continue to show people how to follow Jesus. Again, you've experienced Jesus changing the world. Uh, For the new Christians, I pray that these people will cause you to just um, want to grow up and to mature as you see them becoming like Jesus. Next, he talks to those who are young in the faith, those who are maturing Christians. Look at 13, the latter part of that verse. I'm going to pick up in the middle of the verse. It says, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. So when he says you have won your battle with the evil one, I believe he's doing two things here. I believe that he's declaring truth and he's also declaring prophecy. I believe that he's speaking of the truth of the victory that we have in Jesus with the tomb that is empty and that we are overcomers in Jesus. I also think that he's reminding you of that strength in your life that as you go forward and you have trials and you have temptations and you have challenges and you have experiences ahead of you, that you have in you the strength of the Lord to do what he's calling you to do. So listen to me, those of you who are young in the faith, you have a strength that you don't even realize. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. The Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. Don't miss that. Don't forget that. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Look at verse 14, the latter part of verse number 14. He says, I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. So he speaks this truth again. You are strong. If you're young in the faith, you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. So if you're young in the faith, if you're a maturing Christian, uh, here's where I think you are. You're at that place where you believe Jesus can change the world. You're like, you know what, if he changed me, he can change anybody. Give me a couple of water pistols and bring on hell, right? Let's go. Jesus overcame the grave. He can get anything else done. That passion, that fire, that tenacity that's in you because of your faith, God wants to use that to do an incredible, incredible thing. You believe that Jesus can change the world. Now, as we talk about the younger generations, um, Satan obviously wants to stymie the younger generations, right? There's a couple things he wants to do. He can, it could be and or, um, but a couple things that Satan wants to do in the younger generations is he wants to distract them and he wants to get them addicted. Distraction and addiction. If he can get you or I distracted, he knows he's got us. If he can get you or I addicted, he knows he's gotten us. What can he distract us with? What can he addict us to? He really doesn't care. He doesn't care if it's drugs or your girlfriend or your phone. He doesn't care. As long as your eyes are not set on Jesus, he feels like he is winning. Listen to me, younger generation. 
Do not be distracted. Do not be addicted. There is so much more to this life than whatever it is that you're holding or going after. And it's the mission of Jesus to see the world change so that they can spend eternity with heaven. Listen, these young guys that like play sports, and some of you are in the room, and you're really, really good, and you're young, and we're like, man, how are you so good? Let me tell you how they're so good. They're focused. They are focused. They're like, I've got a plan. I'm going to use my natural abilities, and I'm going to build them because I want to be the best I can be at this sport. And one of these days, maybe they'll pay me millions of dollars to do it. Listen, so many young people today are not accomplishing anything in life because they don't have focus. Spiritually speaking, if you don't understand what your purpose and mission in life, which is, listen to me, you can word it however you want to word it. The way we word it here is to help other people Find and follow Jesus. If you understand that that is your purpose and mission in life, God can use you in greater ways than you can ever even imagine. Ever even imagine. Now, while we're talking about the younger generation, if you're one of the older generations, I want you to be cautious about talking bad about the younger generation. And here's the reason why I say that. Two, because they actually do listen to what you say. Okay, they, they do. They actually listen to what you say. But also, because I want you to know, we got a bunch of young Christians in this church who are on fire for Jesus. And you need to encourage them in every way that you can. So if, if, if you're above 40 and you're following Jesus, you need to find some people that are below 40 and you need to pour into them. You need to encourage them and stoke them up. So if over 40, biblically speaking, the culture said you're supposed to be at that mature level, obviously we're talking to those who are below 40. The problem with that is we don't know like when that whole thing begins because 40 just kind of takes us all the way back. And I think some of us don't understand this. Listen to me. Again, biblical cultural stuff for you. Guess when in biblical times they declared boys to be young men? Guess, guess what age? Anybody know? 13. Whoa. They would put the mantle of manhood on them at the age of 13. Was there still some maturing that needed to happen? Some growth that needed to happen? Absolutely. But let's just say it's 18. Let's just say it's 18. Let's, let's, let's pick an age where we say, you know what, it's time to be a man. It's time to really step up and be who God's called you to be. What's got to happen? If you're not careful, you're 13, 14, 15, all kinds of excuses for not acting mature there. Whether you're a boy or a girl, doesn't make any difference. You're in junior high, you can act like you're in junior high. Who wants to go back to junior high? Ugh. Are you with me? Junior high teachers in the room are like, whew, right? It's a tough age. I'm not saying it's a bad age. It's just a hard age. High school, you get your driver's license, right? You can really act like a fool then. And then you load up in the car when you turn 18 and go off to college and you become just a heathen. Right? We think that's acceptable. Biblically, it's not acceptable. In Christianity, it's not acceptable. Don't waste all those years. Begin maturing even now and allowing God to use you. Some of you are bumping up into your 20s, into your 30s. And listen, you should have grown so much more than you already have. I want to encourage you to begin today to follow Jesus every day so that he can grow you and mature you into the person that you want to be. Again, I'm thankful for the number, the great number of young Christians in our church who, who are focused on Jesus. Here's some things they are doing which are commendable. Okay? You go to work. You take care of your family. You pay your bills. 
You serve people in the community and in the church. You give. You love others compassionately. You're in the word of God. You worship Jesus passionately. You're not a consumer. You are a producer. And we've got a bunch of young people in our church that those things are true of. And listen, that's not natural. That's not the way of the world. That's the way of Jesus. And God's doing something in them. Sure, as you're a younger Christian, you're going to mess up. But as you mess up, grow up. Okay? Allow God's grace to pour over you and allow him to grow you in the midst of that mess and show forth his glory. God's word reminds us of the strength that we have. He says, you're strong, you're strong, you're strong. Why are we strong? Why do we have victory? Because Jesus came back from the dead. Now, Satan wants to mess us up. We talked about the addiction. We talked about the distraction. Let me give you two lies of Satan that he's been using all along. He just keeps using them. It's, it's the same lie. Sometimes he, 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 you know, he reforms it a little bit, but it's the same lie. Okay, So two lies of Satan that all of us need to understand that he uses in our lives. In tests, here's the lie of Satan. God is bad. In other words, as you're going throughout life and you have a bad experience, a hard experience, a test, if you will, Satan is there to tell you that God is bad. Well, man, if God were really good, he wouldn't have let that happen to you. Man, if God really cared about you, he would have not allowed that to happen. Man, if God really loved you, he would have changed that situation. It's, it's his lie over and over and over again. This is where you, as a younger Christian, need a mature Christian to come along and say, I've been through this test and that test and this experience and that experience. And let me, let me tell you what, in all of that, God was faithful and God is good. Satan's going to tell you God's bad. Here's what he's going to tell you in temptation. Here's his other lie. He's going to tell you that sin is better. In temptation, he's going to tell you that sin is better. You have things that you're tempted by. I have things that I'm tempted by. We have all kinds of things that are luring us in. And guess what he's trying to do with temptation? He's trying to convince me that whatever it is that I'm being tempted to do, which is sin, is better than what I currently have. Let me remind you of truth. Sin always, always, always brings forth death and destruction. Always. I didn't say sin wasn't fun. I didn't say sin wasn't pleasurable. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But what he's going to try to tell you is that sin is better than what you currently have. Don't believe his lies. They are lies from the pit. God's word is truth. And according to verse number 14, it lives in your hearts. It is alive and it is the gospel. And you are strong in the Lord. Again, I want you to know what you are in Christ that you cannot lose. And know what the world offers but cannot give. So let's talk about what the world offers. Look at verse number 15. It says, do not love this world. We used that word earlier. Do you remember that? John chapter 3 verse 16 said, God so loved the world. Now verse 15 here is telling us not to love the world. So what's going on? Really quick, John chapter 3, God is speaking about humanity. He's talking about me, he's talking about you, he's talking about your neighbor, my neighbor, the neighbors that live before us, the neighbors that will live after us, all of humanity. When he says he loves the world, that's the world he's speaking about loving so desperately and so passionately in John chapter 3. In 1 John here, when he says for us to not love the world, he's talking about the world's system that has everything else and everyone else in charge of it other than God. 
That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the world's system without God. So he goes on to say, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Verse 15 is one of those verses that make us kind of like examine ourselves a little bit because of what it just declared. If we don't have the love of the world, it's because we have the love of the Father in us. If we find ourselves just in love with the world, following the world, and saying whatever world wants, I'm going after, it's because we don't have the love of the Father in us. Verse 16. For the world offers only a craving. We're going to talk about that word a little bit. Word craving. Here's what I want you to get with this word craving. The idea of craving here is the desire with no satisfaction to come. A desire with no satisfaction to come. And so here's how it works. Verse number 16. For the world, okay, the world offers only a craving, a desire with no satisfaction to come, for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father but are from this world. So he begins in talking about these cravings. Uh, He talks about physical pleasure. Is physical pleasure wrong? No. God created us as physical beings. He gave us the desires that we have. But, listen to me, if you allow your physical desires to determine what your body and life do, you are going to end up in an absolute mess. An absolute mess. Satan knows that. He knows how strong your desires are, so he puts stuff in front of us all the time. Here, sniff this. Here, get a whiff of that. Ooh, this sounds better, doesn't it? Ooh, this sounds good. Ooh, this is going to be fun. And in saying that it's fun, he's not lying. In saying that it's going to be pleasurable, he's not lying. But his lie is that sin is better than what God has for you. So physical pleasure is good. Being driven by physical pleasure is absolutely bad. Eating a nice meal, that's good. Being married and enjoying your spouse, that is good. We can continue this list, but on the flip side of that, eating all the time and being a glutton, that is bad. Being a sex addict, that is bad. Self-medicating yourself with alcohol or drugs or whatever, that's bad. Listen, be on guard. Satan is trying to get you at your place of of desire for physical pleasure and cravings, and he's going to try to take you down. talks about a craving for everything we see. So he involves the eyes now, the eyes. Um, It's kind of this idea, I see it, I want it. Someone may say it this way, I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it. You like my hair, gee, thanks, just bought it. Some of you saw what I did right there. It's really catchy, by the way. And the world caters to this. you got to realize he wrote this like before television, before social media, before commercials. They were dealing with the same two big issues we deal with today, stuff and sex, stuff and sex, stuff and sex. And he knows that, and he's warning us against it. He's like... You're going to have some cravings that if you go after Satan's way for doing it, you're never going to find satisfaction. And if you let your eyes determine everything you do, you're going to see a lot of things you want and you're going to go get it. You're going to go get it. Men, do I need to remind you that we are like visual creatures? Do I need to remind the men in the room? No, it's who we are. It's how we're wired. We have to be really, 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 really careful and on guard about that. 
Our eyes are to be on Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, and our eyes are supposed to be on our wife if God has given us one, and we are supposed to be there, and we're going to have to be on guard about that. Our eyes, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, your eyes can get you into debt beyond belief. Some of you right now are in debt because of your eyes. You saw it. You had to have it. They said, here, you can have it for these payments for the rest of your life. All right? Some have potentially destroyed really good relationships because you wanted something different or you wanted something more. You weren't satisfied. So just a couple questions for you. First question, are you ever satisfied? The Bible talks so much about contentment, which is a deep soul satisfaction that can only come in Jesus. Are you ever satisfied? And next question, what, what are your eyes set on? Okay, what, what are you focused on right now? He goes on in verse number 15 to talk about another desire um, that we have a craving. He talks about pride in our achievements and possessions. I'm going to take a moment here and I'm going to say this. Pride is the way of the world. Humility is the way of Jesus. The way of the world is consumed with what the world thinks about them. I'm going to say that again because you probably didn't catch it. The way of the world is consumed with what the world thinks about them. Do you see like the, the, the terrible cycle, the circle that's going on there? It kind of looks like a toilet spinning down. The world is consumed with what the world thinks about them. You've you got to get out of that, and you've got to get consumed with what Jesus thinks about you. You've got to quit worrying about what they think about you, and what they think about you, and what they say about you, and what they said about you. And you've got to go based on what Jesus has declared about you, much like we sung earlier today. And what Jesus says about you is that he loves you, he accepts you, you're his child, and you are worth it. Look at verse number 17. And this world is fading away. Oh, it's so important to not miss this. It's fading away. The world, this system, this thing called the world, it's not going to be here forever. It's going to fade away. He goes on to say, along with everything that people huh, crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. you got to know what you are in Christ and cannot lose, and you got to know what the world offers but cannot give. I want to take just a moment. I want to put some comparisons on the screen be between um, the things of the world and the things of the Father. There's like 13 or 14 of them. Uh, don't try to write them all down because you're, you're not going to have enough time. I'll just go ahead and warn you. Like, catch the one. Catch the one that God wants to speak the loudest to you about right now, and, and maybe jot that one down and let God... Let you rest on that one, okay? So a bunch of them. And there may be more than one that catches you, but just like, God, which one's the one? Here, here's, here's the things of the world. The things of the world is all about the focus is on me. Hey, y'all, look at me. Things of the Father, the focus is on God, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the rescuer, the real hero, okay? Things of this world, make as much money as possible. Things of the Father, Give as much money away as possible and spend even yourself on others. Things of the world, live comfortably. Things of the Father, life's not about comfort, but about doing hard things now so that we can reap rewards in the life to come. Things of this world, make a name for yourself. 
Things of the Father make his name great. Things of the world, do whatever makes you happiest. Do whatever makes God happiest. Next, teach your children to love themselves and seek self-fulfillment. Teach your children to love and obey God. Behaving is often but not always a blessed byproduct. Next, the world says turn your physical appearance into an idol. Father, treat your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit and cultivate an inner beauty. Next, World, offer acts of service when you feel like it on your terms. Father, be a servant even when it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. Things of the world, stay married as long as your spouse meets your needs. That runs out pretty quick, doesn't it? Am I right? Like there's moments where that's not there. God, serve your spouse the way Christ modeled servanthood and choose to love him or her for life. And I'll pause right there and just make it clear and plain in case anybody's wondering. If you're him, you love her. And if you're her, you love him. All right, next. Come across as powerful, influential, and or interesting. Give preference to others in words and actions. Use worldly wisdom. To accrue wealth, value true wisdom, which is the fear of God over all the treasures on earth. Be mindful of this truth. The things of the world are passing away. The things of the Father will abide forever. Either I'm going to do the will of the world, which leads to all the things we've talked about, and it's going to fade away. Or I'm going to do the will of the Father. Two questions for you to consider and to ask yourself. First one is this. Am I a Christian? Okay, am I a Christian? Do, do, do I have a faith that's been placed in Christ and Christ alone, asking him to forgive me of my sin, believing that he died for me and came back from the dead for me? Am I a Christian? If your answer is no, listen, You can become a Christian today because of the grace and the goodness and the love of Jesus. And that's what we want for you. That is our hope for you. That is our prayer for you. It's the ultimately it's the reason why we do what we do in life and following Jesus, because we want more people to follow Jesus. So if your answer is no today, your answer can be yes today. Today can be your day of salvation. Today can be that day that you can remember for the rest of your life, like all of us were remembering earlier, and you can become a Christian. The other question is this. Am I growing? So if you are a Christian, ask yourself, am I growing? Like, where am I on this deal? Am I, you know, 37 and just like not looking like Jesus at all? And I like placed my faith in him like 20 years ago. Like, am I growing? Am I am I a new believer? Am I a new believer that ought to be a maturing believer? Am I a maturing believer that ought to be a mature believer? Like, where, where are we in that? And regardless of where you are, even if you are a, quote, mature believer, you ought to still be growing. Because every day of following Jesus brings growth and makes us more like him. Let's pray.